Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends if it's trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Is the economy too strong for Washington to pass another stimulus bill? Are we in such good shape that we simply don't need the money? Is that the gamble our government's making, or are we merely dealing with partisan gridlock? After a day where the Dow inched up two points, the S&P advanced 0.52%, and the Nasdaq jumped 1.21%, well, this is something we're now going to have to start thinking about. See, six months ago, the world looked like it was ending, and everybody in Congress had an incentive to reach a compromise. Now, though, the economy's in much better shape, and both sides have an incentive to be more stubborn. They get to blame each other in the run-up to an election. But as Speaker Pelosi told me this morning, the possibility of a deal is still on the table. Still, I took her full statement as a sign that getting a deal done could be extremely difficult. I'm saying this purely in my capacity as your investing coach. Without a stimulus deal, there will be a ton of private company losers. And we could be in a much worse place a year from now, even if we get a vaccine approved by the end of the year. Too many struggling small businesses, they can't wait that long. Now, if you've got a white-collar job that you can do from home, you might not even realize how bad it can be out there. The future is fine for anyone who can work from home, uh, whether we get another bailout or not. But for millions of Americans and their families who work in retail or restaurants, the future is very grim if we don't get a deal. Think about all the coffee shops and diners and luncheonettes and fancy restaurants. Their cost structure is really out of whack, especially in a world where they can only operate at maybe a quarter or a third or maximum half capacity. I don't have an exact number, but worst case, something like 15 million restaurant and retail jobs could be at risk. The Paycheck Protection Program. Money's run out a long time ago now. I don't know how these businesses are hanging on. Most aren't from where I'm around, but maybe around the rest of the country. But they got to pay the rent, their electric bills, their insurance, and it's going to get cold. So all those seats outside are going to go away. Now, I, I know this. The stock market doesn't care about small business. It's not heartless. They just don't trade them. There's real rot underneath this economy. You just can't see it in the averages because the rot is unevenly distributed. And with the rally in tech masking everything, you might not see it at all, especially after Adobe, which has such long tentacles, reported a quarter that exceeded even the most bullish of expectations. And I've been telling you all week that one was going to be a good one. It's easy to be confused about how the economy is doing. The transports are on fire right now. That tells you commerce is getting stronger, not weaker. All aboard. FedEx just reported a magnificent quarter to the close. That sent the stock in the stratosphere. It's already up 100 points where it was last, you know, really in the heat of the pandemic. 
We're also beginning to see a turn in the auto market. It's nascent. We got a home builder on tonight, Lennar, that reported a series of incredible numbers last night with an excellent forecast. Lennar builds homes in 33 of the top markets in the United States, and supply has tightened nearly all of them. We have ancillary markets like plastics, lumber going through the roof. Appliance sales, amazing. It's easy to see how politicians in Washington could look at the data and figure we don't need another stimulus bill at all. Lots of economically sensitive industries are doing just fine. So then what am I worried about? Well, because until we have a vaccine in our veins, I think we'll keep seeing COVID outbreaks around the country. Hey, by the way, Israel uh, opened their schools a few weeks ago and then they just had to shut them down. Could that be happening here? I don't know. J.P. Morgan's been anxious to reopen and get people back in the office, but it sent home some traders today after a worker got COVID-19. Jersey just got a spike because of indoor dining. I doubt we'll have to go back into lockdown, but we're going to have to maintain social distancing for months. And social distancing is devastating to brick and mortar retailers and restaurants. Remember, America is a service economy. Two thirds service, one third manufacturing. Right now, the whole service component is trying to go online and digitize as fast as possible. But not everything is equally digitizable, like sandwiches. Big companies, no problem. This morning, Marvin Ellison, the CEO of Lowe's, explained that he's turned his business around with the help of the Internet. We know it's working for Walmart, which has become so technologically savvy that they want TikTok. Maybe that thing will be resolved tomorrow with Oracle getting it. We know it's working for Target. Their business turned around because of e-commerce, especially the shipping division. These big companies all use digital media to get the word out. They use the transports to bring the goods uh, you order right to your door. FedEx is smiling. And they're all taking market share from smaller players that simply don't have the ability to compete on digital or delivery. The pizza parlor that can't automate the burger joint with a product that doesn't really travel well. The men's clothing store where you really need to try stuff on in person before you buy. Ah, but they all have your size now. When will we recognize the rot underneath? Simple. When the banks report. More about that later. I believe we'll see the beginning of the bad loans that could reverberate through the whole financial system. Right now, there are rules that keep most people from being evicted, although the strength of those rules varies from state to state. There's pressure for the banks to show forbearance and grant extension, but that's only going to take so far. Right now, this week, this doesn't matter to Wall Street because small businesses aren't publicly traded. And we've got a fabulous bull market in the cashless, contactless economy. <laughs> yes, that's right. The PayPal's, the squares. Unfortunately, though, every time a state reopens, especially for bars and restaurants, you end up with the spike COVID numbers, which means we're stuck with that social distancing until we get the vaccine, which is why I keep coming back to the first point. I think we do need a stimulus bill very much to save these small businesses, put food on the table for these people. But the rest of the economy might be too robust for that to happen. It's tough to make the pitch that we need a bailout when so many stocks are making new highs. But the bottom line is that a vast swath of America still needs help. And if we don't get it, the future looks grim for small business and anyone who works for a small business. And that's millions of people who are going to be in trouble. Oh, one last very important thing. Earlier today, when I talked to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on Squawk on the Street, I made a very stupid comment. It was a tongue-in-cheek attempt to make a point about the harsh tone of the negotiations in Washington. But it felt completely flat, and I apologize for that. As I said immediately after the comment, I want to make it clear that I have an incredible amount of respect for both the speaker and, of course, the office she holds. Dean in Washington, Dean. Booyah, Jim, from the great state of Washington. Oh, fantastic. I hope hope that you're not so, uh, you know, that you're not with the fires as my, uh, where the town that my daughter lived at in Oregon burned down. Jesus, this is horrible. Oregon got hit bad. This is horrible. Really bad. Well, how can I help you? UPS. 
Have you heard anything about management changes lately? No, well, we got, we got Carol Tomei in there. She used to be at um, Home Depot, and she's fantastic. And by the way, you know, uh, after the close, United, United Parcels competitor, FedEx reported a good number, and now that stock's flying. So you've got uh, a Carol in there right now. She's been quiet. I've been trying to get her on the show. I'm going to reiterate, Carol Tomei, please come on the show. I like United Parcel stock. Sam in New York. Sam. Booyah, Kramer. First-time caller, long-time watcher. Thank my you. Question my question is regarding Zora. Soon after you had the CEO on your show, I became interested in the company and decided to take a position in it. Unfortunately, after Zoro posted quarterly results, they announced that its growth rate slowed to 8% year-over-year, so the stock tanked. I've been buying more shares on the way down, and I wanted to get your opinion on where you, will, you think the role will be in the short and well, long term. I think that there are competitors that are in that space now that weren't when Zorro pioneered the space. And when Zorro was uh, all alone, it was doing terrific. But now there are others that are doing uh, as good a job or better, and it's price competitive. And that's why I don't know if that stock can turn around. Let's go to Lucas in Minnesota. Lucas. Hey, Professor Kramer. How are it's you? Really good to see tech crawling its way back. But I'd like to talk to you about some tech from our baby boomer boyhood. How do you feel about Tupperware? This thing's made a remarkable comeback. I mean, the thing was just killed. And, uh, and, it, and so what that says to me is, look, be careful. This thing goes down, goes up. But it did have a good last quarter. I don't know how it got down to five. I got to do some work on this one because we used to, you know, it was in the 80s. Let's find out. Uh, I hope I don't mispronounce this. Gita in Florida. Gita. Hi, Jim. I'm first time caller on your show. And first of all, I really wanted to thank you for your expert advice. Thank you. And I really enjoy your show and I watch it every single day. Thank you. The company that I'm calling about is a niche retailer that has benefited from this pandemic and it has experienced growth in their online sales. They recently announced a 14% dividend increase. I bought the stock for 149 and it has taken a hit. What is your take on tractor supply? I think tractor supply is a marvelous long-term growth story, and we don't care about where a stock came from. We care where it's going to. And over time, I think you'll be very, very well served by owning the stock of that incredibly fine retailer that caters to farmers and gentlewomen and gentlemen farmers. Okay, there's a real rot under this economy. Most of the country still needs help. And if we don't get it, the future looks grim for small business, which is why I keep pounding the drum that a deal needs to happen in Washington. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, can you Pacific keep chugging along in an uncertain market? I'm sitting down with the CEO to find out what he's seeing. Then Lennar beat earnings expectations, but its stock still dropped after the board. I'm sitting down with the CEO to find out if it's a buying opportunity. And I'm going off the charts and looking at three strong names that have been flying modestly under the radar to see if they have more room to run. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need indeed. The most encouraging story in this market isn't the bull market in tech. It's the bull market in the transports. These are some of the most economically sensitive companies on Earth, and nearly all of them are on fire, from the rails to the logistics place. Federal Express just put in a great number. Consider the case of Kramer Fave Union Pacific. It's the largest independent railroad operator in America, with a huge business shipping goods from ports on the West Coast to the rest of the country. When the pandemic first emerged in China, global supply chains were cut, and Union Pacific stock got obliterated, falling to 105, uh, from the way from 180s to 105 at the March low. But look, over the past six months, the stock's made an incredible comeback. China's back online. Our economy's improving. E-commerce has become ascendant, which means more shipping. And we're also, we got a trucker shortage. That makes the rails more attractive. And that's how Union Pacific surged to another new high today at 202 and change. The company just rang the closing bell in recognition of its 150th anniversary of being listed on New York Stock Exchange. Union <laughs> original stock price was $26.57. So can this stock keep soaring? Let's check in with Lance Fritz. He's the chairman and CEO of Union Pacific to get a better handle on where his company's headed and what that means for the broader economy. Mr. Fritz, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, it's so good to be on with you this evening. Thanks for having me. All right, first, congratulations. 150 years. There are not many companies that meant, went through the ups and downs that Union Pacific has. That's pretty cool, isn't it? 150 years actively traded on the New York Stock Exchange. That's something that not many people can say. No, and one of the reasons why I think the company's always been indispensable, and it has a network that is uh, second to none, but the new Union Pacific is a company that I'm seeing making a fortune off of revenues that may not even be as good because we have a pandemic. That is something that I didn't expect to see. How are you able to do it? Yeah, our new operating plan focuses very much on the movement of cars to the benefit of our customers. It's a more reliable and consistent service. It's much more efficient. We've taken about a third of the work out of our network that we used to do the way we had planned the network. And the other thing that it's done for us is it's opened up markets because our cost structure is fundamentally better. So we're able to do more for our customers. We can say yes with greater frequency. It's, it's really a home run across the board, and it's a testament to the employees at Union Pacific, the women and men that are running the network. They're just hitting it out of the park right now. I'm glad you mentioned women and men because of a commitment that you made to hire more women, which I thought was quite strong. You made it several times, and I think people need to hear it. Yeah, what we've said is by the year 2030, we're going to double female employment at Union Pacific. Right now, we're at about 5.5% of our employee population, which is woefully inadequate. And it really reflects the fact that some of our jobs, particularly in the field, are either 
designed in a way that they're not terribly attractive to female candidates, or when we get female candidates into the pool, we don't do a good job of moving them all the way through and hiring them. We're changing many things to address that, and by 2030, we're going to double that percentage. Now, Lance, there's a considerable advantage that you have over pretty much everybody else in transport, which is how little energy, how little fossil fuel you use versus, say, trucks. You have mentioned that, remember, the trucks have insurance issues. There's also drug and alcohol uh, capabilities that are not good. FedEx just reported an amazing number. And I know you have a lot of respect for FedEx because you said their business was booming. But do you think people are going to one day say, you know what? I see the fires in California. I see global warming. I see what's going on. And I want want you to call Lance Fritz, get on that technology they have. And I don't want my stuff going any way other than by train. Jim, there's no doubt we're already seeing a deep interest in how Union Pacific can advance the ESG interests of our customers. And our environmental footprint is front and center. We we are so carbon efficient compared to the primary modes of transportation. It's a no-brainer to use us if you care about your ESG footprint. Well, one of the things that I I thought was interesting was that we always heard that the death of coal was going to be the end of Union Pacific. But the lack of of, of how much diesel you use, how little, may be a a savior. I think that you're right. I think a lot of companies are saying, I know we were up at Microsoft. Microsoft wants its suppliers and its transporters to use the lowest form of energy, and that's Union Pacific. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you got it just right. The, the efficiency of our network does a number of things for us. One, it's built to be reliable and consistent. That means we don't have failure cost. The second is it means we use the resources to their best advantage. So we're a very resource efficient company. That's what everybody wants to be, right? When we talk about a, a circular economy, it's about uh, creating the least amount of waste and using the current resources as efficiently as we can. All right, so Lance, solve this conundrum for me. Unemployment for some of this quarter was at 14%, and yet there's a trucking shortage. You, don't, you have an intermodal business that normally I would think would be very weak that's being very strong. What structurally is driving what can arguably be called at the beginning of a new uh, economic cycle? Yeah, so what we see is growth across a pretty broad spectrum of the uh, markets that we serve. Uh, Agricultural products is pretty good because of trade. China is in the market. Housing's pretty good. We're finally seeing people buying homes. Maybe a little bit of that exodus out of cities and into suburbs is starting to take hold. Construction is solid. Plastics, industrial chemicals. You mentioned uh, parcel through uh, e-commerce and retail sales. The one area, the, actually a couple of areas where we're still seeing some pretty dramatic weakness is oil and gas related right. uh, production and exploration and coal. You know, those are really challenged markets and maybe they'll be challenged for a little while. Why is Mexico so strong? They've got terrible COVID, political situation there, not great, but the numbers are extraordinary. Yeah, what's good about Mexico is it's well-situated to take advantage of nearshoring and onshoring. Some of the supply chain changes that many of our customers are contemplating and starting to take in order to make their supply chains more resilient. Now, that's happening on the margin right now, but I anticipate that's going to continue. And to your point, what we want to see in Mexico is we want to see continued progress on safety and security, and we also just want to see an environment that 
is more conducive and inviting foreign direct investment. They they stand in a in a posture right now that could be a home run. And I and I hope they take full advantage of that. Uh, one last thing, given the uh, 150th uh, begin the birthday. $500 million in productivity savings. Now, I've got to tell you, Lance, who would even think that there could be that much to save? But that is what's going to happen. It's an astounding number, especially when you put it on top of last year's half a billion plus. This year, we said it's probably a half a billion plus. You look back the last three or four years, it's easily a billion to a billion and a half in productivity. It's, it's kind of amazing. And it goes back to the deep commitment that our employees have to doing uh, what's asked of them, to, to look for ways to run the business more efficiently, more safely, with greater consistency and reliability. And, and we all know, we're acting in a way where we all know that's how we set up Union Pacific to thrive and win in the marketplace, and we're starting to see that happen. And we didn't even get to talk about what you're doing for education and graduate and, and credits for, for, ki- for kids to be able to go to come back to school. Anyway, and you, everything you told us was going to happen when the stock substantially lowers happened and more. I want to thank Lance Fritz. Happy birthday, 150th Chairman, President, and CEO of Union Pacific. Always great to see you, sir. Thank you, Jim. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. I've been trying to buy this stock from my trust for at least 50 points just kept thinking it would come down. It never has. I don't know. What a horse. Bad money's back after the break. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. What the heck happened to the stock of Lenore today? Last night, this well-run home builder reported a phenomenal quarter. Yet the stock ended up getting slammed today, down nearly 4%. Thanks to the low interest rates and the COVID-induced flight from the cities into single-family homes in the suburbs, the housing industry is in an incredible shape. So we knew Lenore would have a good quarter, but even I didn't realize what it would be this good. company earned $2.12 per share. Wall Street was only looking for $1.55. They had much better than expected sales. New orders up 16%. Dollar value of new orders up 20%. Even better, management gave you the expected guidance and then some. So what did the stock, why did it sell off here? Okay, look, after coming through this quarter and reading all the analyst reports, the only issue I could find was some people didn't like the backlog, which came in a tiny bit lower than anticipated. But I think that's a pretty high-quality problem. Hard to maintain a big backlog when you're selling new homes hand over fist. More importantly, this is a stock that had more than tripled from its March lows, meaning it was probably due for a pullback no matter what. I think it's a buying opportunity, but do not take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Stuart Miller, the executive chairman of Lenar. Find out more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Miller, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. All right, so Stuart, I know that you never want to say it's the best of times because someone will say, oh, that's calling it top. But there are certain things occurring 
that mean that this has to be a longer cycle than most. Limited inventory, low interest rates. Could you just go through why people might say, you know what, the stock's down three, something went wrong. But think about the long term because it's pretty good. Jim, it's the best of the best times. This is a robust housing market, and that's the way it is. I mean, COVID brought, COVID brought us then to a downturn. Uh, COVID has ignited an expansion uh, and a recalibration for the industry. Uh, the market is strong, uh, and, uh, and we just had a terrific quarter. Uh, I think that uh, you're absolutely right that uh, some of the analysts would have liked to have seen a, a stronger backlog. But frankly, we didn't want to get out over our skis. We didn't want to be thinking about uh, selling homes that we hadn't started yet with as strong a market as it is and production, uh, demand for production uh, being as strong as it's going to be. We want to match sales with uh, construction costs. So we're going to be a little bit patient. Well, I, I call me conservative, Stuart, but I was one of those people who, who love a clean balance sheet. I can't believe how fast you're delivering. Yeah, that, there's no question. Our focus and strategy over the past quarters has been let's drive cash flow, let's drive high margins, uh, let's focus on delevering the balance sheet. If you look at our balance sheet today, our debt to total cap is 29.5%. It's never been that low. Uh, if you look at the amount of debt that we've paid off over the past year, it's about $2.8 billion. Uh, we, are, we are really focused on running an excellent business and driving returns and getting our balance sheet as strong and fortified as it can be. I love margin expansion. One of the things I really thought was great about your conference call, holy cow, Stuart, compare the tech now versus when your dad was running the company. Well, uh, the tech now compared to when he was uh, running the company <laughs> – uh, we are we are um, we are just leagues ahead. And uh, frankly, I wish he was here to see some of the things that we're doing. Uh, if you look across our platform, we are reinventing ourselves almost every day. And this is dropping right to the bottom line uh, in the form of SGNA reductions and additionally in the form of cost reductions or at least holding the line on costs that are wanting to go up. And you're seeing this reflected in very strong gross margins. 23.1% uh, gross margin, 15.1% net. We are doing extremely well. We're also seeing what amounts to the house of the future. You know, J.P. Morgan tried to open today. You open up and they immediately a case of COVID. And I keep thinking, wait a second, if we're doing well in business, why do I want to uh, why wouldn't I want a Lenar home that has an office in it from the get go? Well, we, clear, we clearly have reinvented some of our product lines to enable, to, uh, to enable us to accommodate people who want an office, a gym, a home school for their children, a variety of uses for the home that have never been thought of before. And of course, technology enables all of this. The connectivity that comes from a Wi-Fi enabled home where there are no dead spots through the home, uh, all of the attributes of technology enablement enable us to run our office, office from home and connect to our schools. And this is really important, becoming more important as we go forward. There is a hopeful note on page six of your conference call, if you use the fact set research, and it says that, yes, employment is constrained in your business, but you are actually hoping that new entrants will come in. We have a high level of unemployment. There's nothing to be said that some of these people can't go to one of the 33 markets you dominate and find a good job with Lenar. Well, uh, you know, I, I also noted, uh, and I don't know what page it was, but 
that uh, housing and especially affordable housing is going to be a primary driver of the overall economy. And that's, of course, because with a housing expansion, you see job opportunities open up. Now, it takes some time for people to go from unskilled right. to skilled within our industry, but we are not an industry that requires a tremendous amount of edu uh, education. Uh, we can bring a lot of new people to work and absorb a lot of unemployment. And that's what you're going to see happen over the next year or two uh, with the housing market expansion. All right. So how do we keep um, home builders, some home builders less prudent than you, who say there's been a 10-year production deficit? You know what? I'm going to borrow to the hill and build homes everywhere. How does that not happen? Because you and I both have seen that several times in our lifetime. You know, there will be some out there that do that. There are some constraints in the lending world. I think the lenders are a lot smarter than they've ever been, and they're probably going to regulate not letting people get over the skis. But one thing I can say for sure is that Lennar is not going to be one of those builders. We're going to have measured production. We're going to have measured sales. Uh, remember that this quarter, our growth rate, our targeted growth rate was 4 to 7%. 16% was way above that growth rate, but we are not going to blow through that. We're going to keep our production and our sales in line. And I think that you're going to see focus on balance sheet across the industry because people know the frailties of an up and down cyclical business. And I will point out that every home builder that is run like yours and it's up 30 years, up 36 percent. They do have a little dip when people report and people scramble over the place to it to find out what was went wrong. And it turned out to be profit taking. This is a very good time to work at Lennar. Well, this is a great time to work at Lennar. Uh, you know, we have so many active programs in place. Our strategy is solid uh, from a financial strategy all the way to our technology strategy. And technology is what keeps us most vibrant. Uh, people looking to work here in this company are part of the future. We are building the home building processes that are going to take us forward. And a lot of people want to be a part of it. Our investments in a number of technology companies have Paved the way forward for our company overall, and you're going to continue to see Lenar investing in technology moving forward. Let me give a quick shout out to Open Door, uh, that yes. was an early technology investment of ours that is going to lead the way to uh, become the first of our company investments that goes public. All right, indeed, talked about this morning on Squawk Box. I want to thank Stuart Miller, the executive chairman of Lenar. Great to see you, sir. Nice to see you, Jim. Thank you. They rally. And then they dip on the earnings. That's what's been going on in this business now for uh, it's since the bottom. And I think it's going to continue. Man Bunny's back to the break. After a day where tech roared and the recovery stocks flattered, I think it's a good moment to check in on some of the stronger retail and construction plays to put up some fabulous performances over the summer. This is a market where we have constant rotations in and out of particular sectors. We're always pivoting based on the latest vaccine news, the latest macro numbers in the economy, you name it. There's a lot of turmoil, a lot of volatility. But through it all, a handful of select winners have been able to consistently outperform the rest of the market. We've seen this in industry after industry, including retail, home building, even the industrials, none of which are Wall Street's favorite groups right now. So how do you pick those winners at a time like this? Right now, there's so much uncertainty that we can't necessarily rely on our own judgment about the state of the world. I believe the economy will keep rebounding, but there are a ton of moving parts here. Will Congress pass another stimulus package? Will we get hit with another COVID flare-up as kids go back to school? We don't know. 
which is why I think you have to let the technicals be your guide here. Remember, whenever we're not sure about the fundamentals, we'll take anything that can help us. So tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Bob Wang. Now, he's the founder of ExplosiveOptions.net, as well as being the brilliant technician in the all-star duo behind the Street.com's Trifecta Stocks newsletter. And he's the author of Know Your Options to identify where the money is flowing. Before that, though, we've got a special birthday shout-out for Bob's dad, Mickey Lang, truly a man of taste and refinement because he watches the show. Now, Bob's helping us hunt for relatively under-the-radar stocks with relative strength, meaning they're beating the rest of the market and typically they're competitors in the same industry, too. When you come at stocks from a relative strength perspective, Lang says three that look very similar, even though the actual charts don't have much in common and the companies themselves hardly ever put in the same sentence, Caterpillar, D.R. Horton, that's a big home builder, and R.H., the home furnishings retailer formerly known as Restoration Hardware, are all working. To put it very simply, when you look at the charts, it's crystal clear that money managers have been buying these three stocks hand over fist, even as they pause today, because today was all about technology. Why don't we start with the daily chart of home builder D.R. Horton? Now, we know the home builders are in great shape. We talked about that earlier in the show. They've been making fortunes thanks to low mortgage rates and all the people fleeing cities for the suburbs because cities are less enticing when you have no commute and all the bars are closed. You can work some, you can zoom from home. And among the home builders, Lang likes D.R. Horton the best. Why? Well, first look at the shake in money flow, CMF. That's a tool that measures the level of buying or selling pressure in a given stock. Okay, you can see there was a lot of money coming in this one in August, but it's cooled off over the past weeks. Hmm. When the market rolled over, D.R. Horton pulled back to its 50-day moving average at around 67.50. Okay, that's exactly what we want to see, and that's where it bottomed, with the stock rebounding back to just under 72 as of today. So it hits, see what it is? It hits the 50-day, that's the support, and that's where it bottoms. Not coincidence. As Lang sees it, D.R. Horton got overbought in late August. Remember what I said about, about Lennar? Look at the relative strength index all the way at the bottom, Okay. See, uh, when it's over 70, this momentum indicator tells you a stock has gone up too far, too fast. Now, though, Horton's worked off that overbought condition. It's been rebounding off its lows, and Lang says the volume trends have been mildly positive. He thinks Dara Horton's ready to run again, with this next leg possibly taking it to the mid-80s. You know what? This actually makes a lot of sense to me. It does feel like Lennar, the giant home builder we heard from earlier in the show, which I also think is a buy. Not expensive stock, low interest rates, very good for it, housing shortage, city to suburbs, D.R. Horton. Next up, how about RH, the retailer that reported another spectacular quarter last week when we had Gary Friedman on? People want to spruce up their homes while they're stuck indoors, and it doesn't hurt. Their RH has a huge digital and catalog business. You know, I love this one, but it's up, it's run up a lot. The thing is, Lang points out that the best trends are often the hardest to get on board. RH just keeps running and running and running like the Energizer Bunny. So anytime you get a pullback, you have to be ready to, bat, to pounce. Now remember, I often said this to, uh, to Lance Fritz on Union Pacific. These stocks don't want to come down. So when you do get even these niggling little moves, you got to take some action. Look at that. That stock dropped right there before the quarter was announced. When it comes to RH, the stock's obviously flying. Volume was off the charts last week. The relative strength indicator... See that? The relative strength indicator just went into overbought territory, but it can stay overbought for a while before it needs to cool off. More importantly, I want you to check out the moving average convergence divergence, which is the MACD line at the bottom. It's another momentum indicator that helps chart a spot changes in momentum before they happen. When RH exploded higher last week, we got a major buy signal from none other than the MACD. The black line 
crossed over the red one. And this is one of the most reliable patterns in the book. Lang sees this $374 stock trading well above $400 by the end of the year. I think he's going to be right again. Might want to wait for more of a pullback. I mean, look, we do have pullbacks. It, it just you don't see any. But then, boom, that was when you had to pounce. It, it, it was tough. It was tough to be patient. And you only got back to where it is right there. But it still made sense. Finally, there's one that is a great conundrum to many people. It's Caterpillar. It's really odd, right? Cat's got a ton of doubters. I mean, aren't we in a recession? But that didn't stop this stock from rallying from 108 four months ago to just under 149 today. Will you look at this? This is a stock everyone loves to hate, but Cat's got huge business in China. China's in much better shape, and it's got some pretty good background in some of the strength in this country. From Lang's perspective, this is one gorgeous chart. The stock's made a series of higher lows and higher highs, and you can see that each time, right? The relative strength index keeps steadily moving upward. That's also what he wants to see. We got a bullish crossover again this time on that back D line. Same buy signal we just got in RH. At these level, Caterpillar's at the highest point in two years. While the stock's currently overbought, Lang says that doesn't make it a sell. He thinks you should wait for a mild pullback here and then do some buying. And today we got the pullback of, that he's looking for. Cat stock was down five bucks. Well, it's down nearly five. If it comes down a bit more to the 10-day moving average around $148 a share, right around here, well, he says you got to buy it. He's betting it goes to 175 by the end of the year. Even as orders have been inconsistent, this is one where you have to ask, is this company going to be worse off next year at this time or better? Something Dave Costin talked about, the Goldman Sachs strategist when I interviewed him this morning. I think that next year will be better. Remember, if the home builders are doing well and the railroads are doing well, it shouldn't be too difficult to believe the cat earth movers and engines are, to, are not too far behind them. And don't forget, again, they've got China and China's very strong. Here's the bottom line. In a confusing market that's once again circling the wagons around tech, the charts, as interpreted by Bob Lang, say you should consider some interest rate sensitive stocks, a luxury retailer and a machinery kingpin. I think he's right. For months, I've been saying you need a barbell portfolio with some COVID plays and some recovery plays. And you know what? Any of these three could easily fit in on the barbell. We have money's back here for the break. It is time! It's time for the And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the Nightmare Crazy Red Let's go to Mateen in Tennessee. Mateen. What's going on, Jim, my friend? How are you today? I am having a dynamite day. How about you? Hey, man. Can't complain. Can't complain. First and foremost, I'd like to uh, give a shout-out to Joey and Jason, my investing buddies, man. We, uh, we follow your advice, and so far you've uh, done pretty well for us, I love, I love those folks. Thank you. Let's get some work, do some more. Let's do it. All right. So the company I'm calling about is a fairly newer company. It started back in 2012, based out of uh, Berlin, Germany. Now, they're similar to it. Well, not similar. They are an e-commerce uh, platform, and uh, they do their business out of uh, Africa. And the ticket symbol right. I'm talking about, oh, they also do uh, restaurant and access and a whole lot of things similar to Amazon. It's uh, Jumia, ticket symbol J. Yeah, this one is just in, This one trades insanely. But here's my advice to you. Uh, I like Amazon, and I am willing to like Alibaba. Between one of those two, I'll even go to Mercado Libra, which I like in Latin America. Those are the three best. Stick with those. Let's go to Rob in Connecticut. Rob. Hey, Kramer. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, yeah. 
First, I want to thank you for everything that you do for us, your insight, and most of all, your wisdom. Oh, thank you. My, you're welcome. My question is about Kodak, right? Despite the government and the SEC's ongoing investigation into Kodak, a few well-known institutional investors recently announced that they bought stock in Kodak. So I was hoping to get your thoughts on whether or not Kodak is a buy at this time. I'm putting a distinct uh, red flag here on this Kodak. Uh, why? And it's not a challenge flag. It's just like, wow, I don't like it. Because of that deal it made with the government, the insider selling. I need to know more about it. We really got to find out what the heck happened from soup to nuts with that deal. Because it doesn't smell right. Let's go to Irene in, in New York. Irene. Hi, Jim. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Yes, yeah, Irene, what's up? I watch it every day. You're Thank my you. My stock is Zynga. I have it a while. It's up a little. Should I hold? Yeah, it's, you know, look, the, the tidal wave of gaming. That's what it is. It's the tidal wave, and it's just sweeping everybody, and that includes Zika. Let's go to John in North Carolina. John. Booyah, Jim. John. Listen, I'm down here in tobacco country, North Carolina. I wanted to ask your opinion about a high-yielding stock that I've owned for a while. That, of course, is Altria, ticker symbol MO. All right, I'll say two things about Altria. One is it can pay that uh, dividend because it makes that much money. And two, I don't recommend any tobacco stocks uh, or companies that put money with Juul uh, because uh, I think these are... um, I don't like what they've done to members of my family. How about that? Let's go to Steve in California. Steve. Hi, Jim. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Thanks for your wisdom, and thanks for sharing it. I purchased GoPro in 2016 at 15.5. It split about to one-fourth what I paid. I've been holding it for four years, hoping it will come back. I love the cameras, but I'm wondering if they've been copied at like one-fifth That's the price. That's exactly what happened. Look, it's a commodity. I mean, look, maybe, you can, maybe it goes up a dollar from here, but it's a commodity. I have nothing good to say about it. I'm so sorry. I just don't. I haven't since it was at 90 when I saw a goat surf in Hawaii with a GoPro on its head. That was enough for me. How about Winston in Florida? Winston! Hey, Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I'm a big fan of your show. Hey, what's your thoughts on Rackspace, RXT? Not special enough for me. I mean, I know uh, it's done some good things lately, but, you know, I've got these great tech stocks that we own for ActionAlertsPlus.com. I'm working on my speech tomorrow, and I see so much good in so many of the bigger techs that I'm sticking with those. Let's take another one. Let's go to Rick in North Carolina. Rick! Hey, booyah, Jimmy Chill. Yo, the chill man was very chill today. What's up? I'm calling you about a company that uh, I've not heard you discuss. I think it's uh, well-positioned in the e-commerce delivery game. Uh, they're a finalist in the USPS mail truck replacement program. You also have a pickup truck and the horsefly drone. What do you think of Workhorse? This is the stock that people most want me to recommend, other than a couple others that are actually penny stocks that I can't even mention on air. Look, it has what I call the thesis, the grand thesis. It's got electronic vehicles. It's got drones. That's what people want. But you know what I want? I want some earnings, and it doesn't have those, and I want some valuation, and it's up 733%. Therefore, I conclude that I am not early with the stock of workers. One more. Let's go to Edward in Pennsylvania. Edward. Hi, Jim. Ed from Phoenixville, PA. Oh, man, right around been the block. Your, What's up? Been with your fantastic show for eight months. Oh, thank Company you. is Buckle. 
You know, look, it's, it's doing okay. Uh, casual apparel, but you know what? Um, I don't like apparel. And if I wanted apparel, I would buy VF Corp or I would buy PBH or even Ralph Lord. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Just because the stock looks cheap, that doesn't mean it's worth buying. When I say that, I'm talking about the banks, and I'm also talking about the oils. People want to buy these because they seem like such bargains, but a cheap stock today could get even cheaper tomorrow. Not long ago, my travel trust had a pretty big position in the stock of Citigroup. At the time, the stock was trading at a couple bucks below its tangible book value, what the company would be worth if it shut down and stripped for all its parts. And management was committed to buying back about 8% of the share count. Seemed like a great deal, especially when you throw in that 3% dividend yield. Back then, Citi was at 68. Now, after a horrific day when the stock fell more than $3, or roughly 7%, it's under 45. I think you can even go lower. The problem with cheap stocks is they can always get cheaper. What went wrong here? First, when the pandemic turned ugly, the regulators ruled that the banks had to stop buying back stock out of an abundance of caution. Smart. Without the huge buyback, though, the city thesis fell apart, so we sold it for the travel trust. Second, there were some company-specific problems here, like a lack of internal controls that we're only just discovering. The CEO, Michael Corbett, is retiring. Jane Frazier, the head of consumer banking business, taking the reins. She's got her work cut out for her with layoffs and a regulatory crackdown. Now you have to wonder whether the 4.55% yield is a real safety net or is the dividend potential in the chopping block? If, if there are too many pandemic-related bad loans, loans that would have been fine if it weren't for a once-in-a-hundred-year occurrence. Third, the estimates need to come down because we continue to have a terrible yield curve for bank earnings. That's how a seemingly safe investment turns into a total debacle in the course of a few months. And look, it's not just City. The whole group is hated. First Horizon had a good quarter. It's been cut in half over the past two years. I keep hearing people talking about buying Wells Fargo because it looks like a bargain, but it's not a bargain if the estimates have to keep coming down. JP Morgan, the best of the lot, lost more than $3 today. And nothing specifically bad about the balance sheet. The group can't catch a break. At least for now, you don't want to own the banks. They're too risky. I wouldn't call them uninvestable, though, because I reserve that label for the oil, natural gas, and pipeline stocks. Now, hardly a day goes without someone calling in on the lightning round to ask about an oil company that says it looks cheap or has a big yield. I say don't be deceived by the price earnings multiples or by those big yields. I think we're heading into an era where the energy cohort just will not catch a break. Even under the oil-friendly Trump administration, there are few places for them to drill, and industry can't stop itself from overproducing anyway. I doubt it'll be easier for the fossil fuel industry if Biden wins the election. Meanwhile, demand is down, and only OPEC keeps prices from going dramatically lower. Once you consider the remarkable meltdown of the stock of ExxonMobil. Honestly, this doesn't get enough attention. When I first got to Goldman Sachs in 1982, I was told the one stock you could always recommend was Exxon, because we'll always need oil, and the company had a 50-year vision that will ensure they'll have good production with low cost. They had a sturdy balance sheet, a safe dividend, and a consistent buyback. What more could you ask of a stock? Now Exxon seems to have none of those things. The stock's got a nearly 10% yield, which is a total red flag because it suggests the dividend will have to be cut. It just got kicked out of Dow Jones Industrial Average, something that would have been unthinkable even a few years ago, replaced by Salesforce nonetheless. I'm picking on Exxon because it should be among the steadiest of the oils. Its precipitous decline shows you that the whole industry could suddenly be in bigger trouble than you realize. And it's not like crude's at 26 a barrel. The price of oil actually went up a dollar today, and Exxon went down 39 cents. You know, it's off 48% for the year. I know the pipeline stocks look cheap with their big yields, but do you really think that 20% trans- uh, distribution from energy transfer partners is sustainable? 
I wouldn't bank on it. How about natural gas? If it didn't go up big during this red hot summer, I can't imagine what would drive it higher. Oil and banks, they may look cheap right now, but there's a good chance they'll get even cheaper later on. Stick with Kramer. Calvary keeps coming to the rescue of this market. I don't know if you've noticed, but every time it's about to roll over, it looks like we get some good news. And FedEx was filled with good news tonight. Business is just much better than people anticipated, particularly last year at this time. And by the way, Adobe, six firms did upgrade or say good things, raise price targets going into today. What did I tell you that meant? It meant that the quarter was going to be lights out. And guess what we got? A lights out quarter from Adobe, which you know is really the engine behind a lot of e-commerce. Deservedly so, over 500. Wish we had a split. Won't get one. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.